Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, featuring 2nd Edition AD&D Players and DMs Option Books. In this series, we are taking a close look at these special books that are often considered D&D 2.5. On the 5th Day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me Combat and Tactics Part 2. <laughs> uh, look, I'm disappointed as you are that it's not five gold rings. It's the one people come running in from the other room saying, we all know it. It's cool. You know, I think if somebody gave me D&D books, I would be just as happy with them as I would five golden rings. I've, I've read the books. You can have both. Five, five gold rings. That's that's a pretty good magic item. But is it a ring of protection? Is it a ring of invisibility? Is it featherfall? Could be five rings of protection. They just need stacking properties. So, what chapter are we on? Last time, we made it all the way through chapter one of this book. <laughs> we didn't talk at we all about I thought we talked about chapter two. We did not. Ah, crap. Okay. <laughs> not one word. <laughs> For those of you playing at home, we thought we were going to make these little short, cute 12 Days of Christmas podcasts. But Brandis and I, we really like to talk about the game. That is accurate. There you go. All right. Second chapter, combat options. Yes. Yeah, so this one is pretty cool. Um, as a chapter, um, like at the idea level, it's it's doing neat stuff um, because it is uh, really leaning into giving fighters a lot of different ways to you know, engage with their opponents and what their opponents have going on. Um, the, the, the downside that I see here is that it, it seems to believe you're going to be spending a lot of time fighting humanoid opponents and a lot less time fighting, you know, overtly monstrous things with a highly extraneous number of appendages. Uh, and, and frankly, the, the artwork reflects that for the most part. Yeah, I mean, to to be fair though, this whole first part is it's more like it's it's about war formations, right? So exactly. So if you're in a war, theoretically, a large majority of the opposing army will be humanoid type creatures. If 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 that's yes well the, of course right i mean this is the thing right i think this book uh it it has the it has this issue of how to, trying to be realistic in certain things and trying to stay fantasy in certain things and uh, we ran into that in the last chapter too where you know they you want to have these miniatures with facing and all these other things but you know your reality is bumping up against your fantasy world is bumping up against you know real lifetime in the game and, and things like that. And I think this section probably has a similar problem. So we've got a, a good range of, uh, of battle tactics and uh, attack options. And then we get into uh, you know, fighting styles and such. And uh, I think it's really good for just getting you to, like I said, think about um, – the battlefield as uh, as a place and think about all the different things you can try to do to an enemy character without really leaning into called shots, though called shots is one of the attack options. So 
So for our battle tactics, there are uh, shield walls, and there's rules for how those in, uh, those work against um, missile fire, and how, they, how it works against uh, melee attacks. And then you have spear hedges, mounted charges, archery from horseback, and in case anyone's forgotten since <laughs> yesterday, for, for you listening yesterday, um, I, I gleefully do... 20 minutes on uh, Parthian archery. That's that's accurate. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a sense here that you're going to see uh, massed um, mounted charges facing off against uh, horse archers, right? I don't know that I've seen that happen too many times in all the D&D I've played. I'm not opposed in principle, but it doesn't happen that much. Um and so it's interesting that the this set of rules treats it as something you need to know. Uh, but um, you know, without without digging into these rules too deeply and getting into all the different um, you know things that are, cause minus two penalties to this and that, uh, and and plus one bonuses here and there, um, you, you know. It's a it's a good number of um, major field options, and it feels like um, you know a lot of what goes on in um, in warfare from uh, you know Roman times on through uh, very shortly pre Napoleonic times, right? Uh, because they don't have anything specifically for artillery fire. Right. And, and, you know, t- also just as a, uh, when you read this, you know, it's talking about, uh, you know, sapping a shield punch, shield rush, grabbing, tripping, overbearing. I mean, these are, if, if you want your fighter to rush in and do something other than I swing my sword, Right. And remember, up until this time, that really was all your fighter could do. There were no mechanics for for doing other things, right? You could narrate the hell out of it and do you know however you wanted to you know talk about it. But in terms of mechanics, of bonuses and penalties and whatever that could make it more mechanically interesting, that stuff wasn't there until this. Uh. Right, um, like the the attack options. Um, I feel like a good number of these showed up in the complete fighter's handbook. Right, I, I don't think it's literally the first time they've seen print, but um, well, yeah, yeah. So of course, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm more talking about it, this edition. I don't oh, necessarily sure. mean yeah. this book. Sure, sure, sure. It, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not going through. Uh, the the first ed material I have right now to see if that's absolutely true. But um. also, can I make can I make a quick digression too? Because on page forty eight, I think we both know awesome- that neither of us can be stopped from digressing. I know, right? <laughs> that's true. There is an awesome picture on page forty eight. That that is a large frog. That, that it is a large an and enormous- worrying frog. An enormous orange frog jumping out of the jungle. Uh, and and uh, combating a spear tip held by some sort of uh, barbarian fighter person, uh, it, it it's an interesting picture. I like it. Yeah, I 
like personally, I hope that it's a slod and that we're seeing, you know, what's supposed to be an incredibly badass character fighting yeah. some horrible slod. That would right. be awesome. Well, look at me. the teeth. Look at yeah. the teeth. Yeah, the, it's frog don't have teeth like that. <laughs> Frogs have vomarine teeth, which do not look like that. <laughs> you with your zoology. I know. Sorry, biologist. Uh, can't can't help it. But yes. <laughs> I do I do I I sound like I'm making fun of it. I actually do like the art. It's No, I it's cool. It's picture, I yeah, I do think so. it's cool. And like if that's viable evidence that it's supposed to be a slot, then let's do this. That's awesome. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um So so yeah, just to run down the attack options here. Um uh, you have uh block, called shot, disarm, grab, overbear, uh pin, pull or trip. Sap, shield punch, shield rush, unarmed attack, unhorse, and special weapon maneuver, which is going to be your, your catch-all for other kinds of stuff: uh, bolas, chains, harpoons, lassos, man catchers, and nets. You know, whatever it is that is that one weapon special trick, and that uh, the the sort of uh, code for that weapon's trick is going to be in in the weapon entry itself. Um, but a lot of these operate on opposed roles, and the whole. Uh, 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 so, by uh, by leaning into opposed roles, um, it is sort of getting into some of the uh, roll under, but as close to your number as possible, um, opposed role oddities of second ed, um, and ties extend the contest one round. Uh, it's one of sort of the, the recurring questions with any kind of uh, opposed check or opposed role. What happens on a tie? Right. Well, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, a lot of these are, are things that either exist in, in fifth edition or um, have been, you know, house ruled in or, or offered by DMs guild products. Um, I mean, block is, really just dodge Mm -hmm. like it is um just a kind of odd and clunky way to offer uh a parrying mechanic Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work as well as fifth heads dodge or the parry maneuver of the battlemaster fighter but that's life um (laughs) you know what called shots nope nope right in the garbage bin sorry (laughs) No, <laughs> this version or just called shots uh, in just general? called shots, just called shots. Yeah, no, um, just find some game that isn't D and D for your called shots. D and D does not do that. I I have never seen a called shot system that I did not um, hate with a special venom, and the examples of how this is supposed to be used are a fantastic highlight of why because it is all about you know, gaming a knowledge of um, the opponent's uh, AC in their unarmored he- head location or whatever. And just, no, just don't do that because it, it really leans into, well, if you're not wearing a helmet, then uh, it's cool that you have all this other plate armor on, but really your AC is six. Thanks for playing because You've got this AC ten, and then there's minus four penalty to the attack, so AC six. Great. It it's not it's not worth anyone's time. Um, I'm just not here for that. So disarm. Um, 
good disarm mechanics are are hard. Um, and one of the interesting things about what uh, block and disarm have going on is that they're opposed roles, sort of, but they have the attacker and the defender uh, targeting different numbers. Um, the defender's target is four points easier. It's AC four rather than AC zero, and that's that's a that's a choice. And I'm not sure what goes on there, but that's a choice. Um, here again, you have example text that this sort of highlights. I wonder if it's just if it's. I wonder if it's meant to uh, sort of take care of the idea that the person is holding on to their weapon, so they have a grip, right? Maybe. And so, therefore, it's hard. It's harder to break a grip than you know. So it's. I, I don't know. I, yeah. It, we don't get a clear sense of what the logic is. It's fine. Um, I mean, the the trick with disarms is always, well, who has the action advantage on doing something about the weapon on the ground? If it's the PC, then they might be too easily taking that whole opponent out of the combat. If it's the target, then they might be making disarm pointless. And I I haven't actually seen a D&D variation that I felt resolved that tension well, because I don't know what resolving it well would even look like. Um, not, I'm not sure you can. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. you can. Um, I, I have strong feelings about this from LARPing, where um, the, the disarm rules are such that because it's a LARP, there's no superior action economy opportunity to pick up the weapon. Um, but also there's a general sort of understanding that probably uh, you are getting the opponent out of the combat for five, 10, 15 seconds, not taking them out completely because they have no weapon. Anyway, it's fine. I'm just, uh, I'm weird about disarms for that reason. Um, and then you have uh, grabs that um, are kind of uh, disarmed, but also I want it immediately instead of putting it on the ground. Um, because grabs are about grabbing weapons or important items away from opponents. Um, and, it, and it says, if you want to actually grab your opponent by the lapels or whatever, that's wrestling. Uh, overbearing, which is, you know... Just a, a dog pile, um, and it provokes opportunity attacks because you have to actually get up in someone's business to overbear them. But it's certainly one of the only ways that uh, you know very low end minions are going to be any threat at all to a uh, even modest level character in. Uh, in second edition. Sure. I mean, I, and I, I guess though, the, the thing about all of every single one of these rules is that, and you know, with their list of modifiers and whatnot, it's really about overbearing the process. <laughs> you know, it, sure. it's, it's going to, it's going to ground your game to an extremely slow, you know, uh, trying to work through each of these every single round. Right. Yeah. There, there's a lot of like, a lot of roles that go into a bunch of these and where these have made it into uh fifth edition 
they've been simplified dramatically right. and that's that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, one of these days we're going to have to do an episode on grappling and then we can discover the podcasting sound of me skating blood from my eyes. <laughs> oh, I love I I would lo- I would love to talk to you about the grappling rules of first edition AD&D. That noise you hear right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh lord. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so we get into uh, pull and trip, which is various kinds of knockdowns. Um, so always good stuff. Everyone loves a good knockdown. And um, there's a, a table of modifiers for this, sure. Um, sapping is, it describes itself as a variant called shot uh, that has size limits for odd reasons. Um, and yeah, it just gives you a percentage chance to straight knock out the target just bypassing all the hit points. That seems fine. If you're, um, if you're a monk. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Well, you're not a monk in second edition. That's right. Exactly. But that's kind of my point is. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, but the idea is that, I mean, it's supposed to be a blackjack to the back of the head kind of thing. Sure. And in the LARPs I play, that's absolutely a a substantial part of rogue gameplay. And, you know, I, I respect that. Um, Lord knows we keep trying to design it, um, sort of warts and all. But this is an especially uh, unlovely implementation. Because in addition to your percent chance to just skip all of their hit points, um, you also have to deal with splitting between real damage and temporary damage. And ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Well, they do because of all the other time that they're spending on the other players with their combat round with all of these tactics, Mm -hmm. you see. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So, So shield punching is the next... Uh, attack option, and I have a certain amount of sympathy for the the desire to include this. Um, I certainly know that in you know r- real shield combat, shield bashing is a big part of what you use that giant door strapped to your arm for, <laughs> um, and that's very cool to me. Um, as a particular implementation, this is fine. It's fine. I don't have much against it. Um, there's sort of a, a there's a baseline penalty. It's ge- it's generally on par with. It's generally on par with two up yeah. and fighting. There's there's baseline penalties that are the yeah. same as two up and fighting, which you can mitigate with a, uh, a bonus from a high dexterity score using your reaction adjustment. So that's fine. Um, shield rushing is you know just a different form of the pull trip deal, but it relies on having a shield. That's fine. Um, and it has a similar but more but curiously, uh, I guess, less generous um, table of modifiers because there's no minus six penalty if the defender was stationary. I don't, I don't know why that's – I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's missing. Um, I already mentioned special weapon maneuver. So, so trap is uh, – Basically about you know binding your opponent's weapon to 
you, you like close with them so they can't use that, that giant great sword or halberd or whatever, or you know pinning your opponent's weapon against a wall. And this is funny to me because in working on Seas of Odari, I'm working with Sean on a uh, you know attack option to do exactly that. Like I worked on that today, <laughs> this morning. So um, right, this is very current <laughs> for me. Um, I mean, this implementation is sort of very similar to uh, to grab and disarm um, in its its function. Um, then there's trap and break, which is for the fairly small number of weapons that are specialized in breaking uh, a target's weapon, like the sword breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, unarmed attack. Uh, oh, yeah, it pretty much just points to your chapter five. Cool, thanks. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> it literally does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not excited about getting a chapter five because unarmed combat, my man, it's it is a thing. Um, so unhorse is another one that is a, a pretty pretty viable option in fifth, except that you just work it as a shove attack against a mounted creature, um, or anything that imposes the prone condition. Um, but this is this right, goes through different ways to unhorse a mounted character. So it's uh, essentially just a a container of other attack options um and that's it for our attack options and and like i said overall these are fine um the implementations are just very second ed yeah you you have to understand to the the context of of these rules is that you know you i mean we keep comparing it to fifth edition right because that's the current edition and we're you know we're deep into fifth edition and all that but you know fifth edition uh, one of its goals was to simplify and so when they're writing about unhorsing or, you know, blocking or grappling or whatever, um, they're doing it with an eye toward making something fast and fun and not so detailed that uh, the game bogs down, right? Because the design right. the design uh, ethos of 5th edition is very different. But in 2nd edition, with this book right here, the the point of this section or the point of, of, of this, you know, plus and minus two and all, all of these little intricate details, that was the point of it. They were trying to produce something that was full of options and details and minutia so that people could use it if they wanted to and it would it would maybe allow for someone to have a sort of more mechanically cinematic combat for sure and it's all aimed at you know threading the needle between um verisimilitude and game balance right and um as i say like it it's very much a product of the rule set it's operating in sure um and, and so that's fine i'm i'm criticizing it from the year of our Lord 2019. Like, Let's be fair. No, uh, no. I criticized it back then too. <laughs> oh, oh, sure. Like I'm not saying it was especially graceful then. Um, just, but I think the design ethos was so different that uh, the criticisms that I have now of it are very different from the criticisms I had back then. Right. Let's just, let's just not, you know, 
get so wrapped up in, uh, you know, one view of things that we don't at least tip our hats to them for trying to expand the range of options and, you know, embrace action oh, as, sure, a, sure. as an ethos and that's, in itself. that's kind of where I was going with, with you know, I, I, I don't want the listeners to think that just because we keep sort of referencing 5th edition that we're making a comparison that is favorable to 5th edition and unfavorable to 2nd edition. Uh, I think there are certain things that are brought by this set of books that if they if this book didn't exist, third edition for one would be extremely different. And if third edition was extremely different, fourth edition would be extremely different. And if fourth edition was extremely different, we would not have the fifth edition that we have right now. So there is a direct lineage here. So I, I, I guess I'm saying I'm not, you know, I, I sort of have a more negative view of this book uh, than a lot of people maybe, um, but I still also appreciate it for what it did bring to the game. And I feel like that they hit several of their goals. They missed some too, but I think they hit several of their goals. So I just want to say that before we move on, because as we keep going, I'm going to get more and more critical. <laughs> right. Well, and it, it, as to your point about the third edition, like that AC zero for the attacker versus AC four for the defender. Well, that looks a lot like make your trip attack with a minus four penalty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Like it, they've changed what you're targeting, but like that's what they're trying to. Mm-hmm. That's what they're translating into third edition. And so, like if you if you went straight from vanilla second ed to 3.0 on release day, it looked like a revolution. It looked like there were so few points in common between the two editions that like you could reasonably ask ask yourself, right. is this still D and D? If you were with them the whole way through skills and powers, so much of third edition becomes much clearer as, oh, you just cleaned up combat and tactics and cut the stuff that was jankiest. Yeah. Good game. Yep. Right? Like there's there's a whole combat chapter in third edition that is just kind of a, a cleanup and a fresh typeface and some some fresh uh, photography work of uh, moving minis on the map right. of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, so then we get into fighting styles. Um, and there's not a lot new uh, under the sun for fighting styles because, I mean, we mostly have two hands. Uh, the, the game has... The game has never made a credible effort to support uh, characters that are uh, missing a hand. Like, you can play that, and it's a disability. Um, Combat and Tactics will, I think, pay you points for it in the flaws section, but um, uh, overall, it's not trying to make it balanced against having two hands. Um, that's not that's not a concept. So here we we do have a single weapon style that could be phrased as trying to make that balanced, but it's um, sort of doing that and sort of not. And it is operating on the idea that you'd be using your offhand for uh, some of the attack option maneuvers, uh, such as uh, punches or grabs, uh, which in, in fairness is a whole character aesthetic that I am still in love with. I, played it in fourth edition with the uh, 
brawling fighter build, and that was one of my favorite characters that I ever played in all the fourth edition. And like that's still not out of my system. It was it was so good. Um, but um, when you get into two handed weapons and you know the one handed weapons wielded with two hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Weapon and shield. Yep, good. No surprises to be found here. Two weapon. Yep, good. Um, notably, uh, the two weapon rules uh, are almost exactly as they appear in third, except that I don't believe you get to wipe out any of your attack penalty with your two weapons just from your high dexterity score in in third ed. Um, that's fine. Um, then unarmed, which. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry. You're going to be hearing a lot of this in this episode, and maybe also next. But yeah, don't do that. Um, and finally, um, um, missile and thrown weapon. Um, your your archer and your thrown styles. So that's good times. Um, and and there's nothing especially new or surprising to be found in those. And then and then dueling. And then dueling. <laughs> Yeah. So then we get uh one, two, three, four. We get five pages well four pages really, because there's one more section uh, later on, but we get four pages on dueling and it is an attempt to make a, a duel between two characters as uh active and engaging as mm-hmm. you know a whole fight. Uh, with that includes the whole party. That said, the duel doesn't in any way include the whole party, so it's just spotlight time for one character, um, and it is dragging out that spotlight time by introducing far more dice rolls. Yes, it introduces page fifty-two, which is this this <laughs> amazingly thought-out series of how to roll a die and 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 let it inform your defense and attack and and movement right. uh and notice i didn't say amazingly well thought out i just said amazingly thought out yeah um well like what <laughs> what gets me is that it's it's so clearly doing yes. a street fighter thing yes. right like right. it's trying to be street fighter and that is such yeah. a weird idea that is a balls out weird idea. It it introduces this little mini game of now. So to be fair, I mean I, I'm making fun of it a little bit, but if I was a DM and I was running a one on one campaign where it was one DM and one player, right, and maybe they had a couple of hirelings or something, and I needed to make a fight seem dynamic and meaty and interesting. I might decide to implement this, and that's fair. And and that and that would be an appropriate use of it. I, I do agree with that. Um, but <laughs> or if you were really going to give every character at the table this level mm-hmm. of spotlight time in a session, like that would be hard, but it's not inconceivable. Um, but. I don't think I would do it if I had a whole party, though. I think I, 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 my 
I think the value in this is that it, it is a thought, a well thought out. I mean, some of the, uh, you know, here I go. All right. Like I, some of, some of it feels very well thought out at, you know, where it it's going for a particular style, as yep. you said, the sort of street fighter thing. And, um, I respect what they created with it. It feels very out of place, though, because Dungeons and Dragons is, in general, and at this time was, in general, a group activity. And um, while there is room for one-on-one play, and while I know that that's been going on for a long time, you know, this book, all the other parts of it are aimed at how to make the group have individuals that are interesting and do these cool things, but they're still part of a group. And this is just something else. It's just something not, it's just not, it's, it's, it's unlike anything else. Um, It's, you know what it's like? It's, it's like somebody wrote a really awesome article for dragon magazine and they liked it so much. They decided to just throw it into this chapter. Yeah. And it's kind of separate from everything else. What it really wants is for someone to say, you're using Bonetti's defense against me, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if they, could, if they could get to that so that a player could somehow respond as God intended, right. I thought it fitting, considering the rocky terrain, then you're off to the races and I am in this, I will play this character. I will play your system. Whatever, let's do it. Right, right. but but it's they don't quite get that tone, and they really want to, and it makes me sad. But yeah, there's a bunch of um, tables that follow on this with choice of defense and choice of attack, and um, I'm glad someone started the conversation on how to do this well. But um, this just this is not uh, an implementation that moves fast enough to achieve what they want to achieve. Right. Right. Um, I agree with that assessment. Um, and finishing out the chapter, uh, you get a heroic phrase, which uh, goes back to um, an OD and D and possibly even chainmail rule where if you're getting, if you're fighting just, scad hordes mm-hmm. of um, really low-end mooks, then you get lots and lots of extra attacks per round to plow through them uh, with grace and speed. Um, right. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, warriors facing adversaries far less skillful than themselves can double their normal rate of attack and gain one extra attack per round that is used for a limited list of... Uh, attack options. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to create fourth edition's minion rules right. just in a sort of odd awkward way. Well, and but for the time this little section, just this little, you know, what is it, four paragraphs or something, it's actually quite elegant and quite eloquent for what they're trying to do. Now, I'm yeah. not sure if it ever got implemented very well, but 
but as a quick like here's if you want this kind of scene you know this is a, the complete opposite of the very last section which was individual duels with villains and blah 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 now we're talking about okay well forget that now let's talk about an enormous war but it's not an enormous war with gentlemen where everybody's lined up and you're all going to shoot at each other or 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 rush at each other and and your swords are going to hit at the same time this is the horde of goblins is swimming out of the ocean and overtaking your ship and they're just it's just there's so many of them they are crawling all over how do you adjudicate that yep and this is how right and if you watch the battle of winterfell i mean this is a really pretty good uh set of rules on uh what that looked like um and we saw, you know, these top end fighters that we've been following the whole series, uh, just mowing their way through lots and lots and lots of zombies. Um, so yeah, that that was the thing. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. Yeah. So chapter three. Uh, so so about our thesis that they think you're going to be playing a lot of wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this chapter is here for that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh Lord. And so it goes into um, deep and um, SAT vocabulary intensive <laughs> detail on um, terrain and location. Like, I'm pretty sure D&D is how I learned the word escarpment, mm-hmm. uh, possibly also topography. Um I have to tell you that this section makes my little biologist heart go pitter patter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the ecologist in me is like, oh, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I not the, not the mechanical parts of it, but just the idea of you know they're not just like, oh, here's the battlefield, and you know, uh, here's some tactics to use in in large battles. It's like, no, here's the battlefield, and you know what? If it's a swamp. Versus a Badlands, you know, a, 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 a rocky desert, right? Versus, you know, a, a jungle. Like, those are extremely different environments, and you need to account for that. And you can actually turn that into something that's important for the game. I appreciate that. As, as someone who studied drinking in college, <laughs> I'm delighted that the tavern is a terrain type. Uh, I think that's very good. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, it's it's amazing, yeah. right? It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but that's see, that's so, what makes this section D and D, though, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, that's true. Very it's true. Very D. It's just yeah. it's very funny to me what they include and what they don't because dungeon doesn't get any kind of terrain type, but. By God, ship, tavern, and town street do. Because, and in fairness, dungeon can't be generalized. But well, ca- dun- dungeon gets caves, right? Ca- there's sorta, a cave yeah. section, and there's a. Uh, I guess, I guess there is no dungeon type. Yeah, huh? Interesting. But yeah. but dungeon wouldn't be any one thing in D anD. d that's true. Yeah. Um, it is. It is interesting. The list they chose is interesting. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to remind you that you can have, you know, a, a good, interesting scrap anywhere, mm-hmm. and that's that's. There's nothing wrong with that right. at all. Sure. Um, I would suggest that for most D and D usage, 
the distinction between marsh and swamp is lost on most people. Right. Well, and that's one of those where, okay, they really put both of those in there? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. I mean, I know, I know but, <laughs> but, you know, but that's, that's the, what I like to call the Gygax influence, sure. right? You know, it's it's sort of like, yeah. Well, also, most of us can't tell, you know, the difference between the ten types of pole arms, right? But he could, <laughs> and would use the names and mean very specific things about them in in a way that was important to him. Yeah. Uh, same with you know swamps and marshes, uh, in a in a way. So so what I will say about this whole chapter is that if you uh, have the the time and brain power to turn all of this into a, a large um, operational area uh, with a, a map that sort of engages everything that's going on in this chapter in terms of visibility, encounter distance, obstacles, uh, fighting in unusual conditions, you know, water features, climbing, aerial combat, like, yeah, that's actually awesome. Mm-hmm. No problem. You, you, you're doing yeah. you're doing a good job. It's it's a ton of work to implement all of the stuff going on here, but mm-hmm. there there is some interest gleaned from that, and you're going to feel like that rock has dragged you over uh, ten miles of hard road because mm-hmm. the book tells you how. Right. This is a little uh, distilled wilderness survival guide with a tutorial for the DM on how to make a map that is topographically interesting and that the players can understand when they look at it. And then and then in true second edition fashion, you get the, you know, all of the mechanical little pluses and minuses and, and different ideas about, you know, how far you can see and what bonuses you get and all, all this, that, and the other. It, it actually is a really quite enjoyable chapter. Right. It's it, it, like the good side is um, if used as intended and if you sink in the time, it does pay you. The bad side is it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Like, that that sink, that, that uh, time sink is, is huge. Yes. Um, yes. Although I will say that uh, the fighting in unusual conditions uh, section has, you know, once again, here's this direct line between vision and 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 movement and things like that uh, directly from here to more modern editions. Yep. Um, then you get uh, combat on other planes as a uh, actually fairly brief section on astral and ethereal combat. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool um and it gets into how you uh use intelligence in place of strength and wisdom in place of dexterity so that's you know calculating on the fly but you're going into the astral like you had to know something was gonna get weird um and um which you know in fifth edition if you really want to throw your players for a loop and you want to put them to a different plane and you want them to not understand what's going on at first do that yeah and and the ethereal combat section um is actually fine and uh wouldn't be actually be out of place in fifth edition as written it's right. fine um then you get effects of magic on the battlefield so it goes through a bunch of spells and magic items and how those 
engage with larger battlefields. And really a lot of it is about applying these spells to the rules of combat and tactics more than it's about um, battlefields, qua battlefields. Right. Because it's telling you the initiative phases of some of this stuff, uh, which has nothing to do with this chapter at all, but that's fine. Uh, it had to fit somewhere, and I guess this is a place you could put it. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, this chapter is brief and um, dense, but uh, not without some interest. Uh, if for some reason you really... Well, actually, let me put that differently. If you are the kind of ultra-dedicated person who can build a full terrain display um, so that you know, your, your characters are going to be covering all of those hills and bluffs and rocky defiles and creeks and so on, then this does have some extra payoff to offer you in terms of um, being able to look up exactly how everything should work over that whole field that you've so lovingly crafted. Mm-hmm. So like for the extreme power user, there's maybe more here than uh, meets the eye. I think the problem that this chapter has, this chapter three, I think the problem it has is people are, they will find a, a much easier association with it uh, with a setting book than they would with a combat book. Even though, I mean, I, mean I, under- I understand why it's in here, but I feel like it's almost like I could imagine, you know, someone reading this and talking about, you know, all these uh, specialized combat abilities and, and moves and all that. And then they get to uh, the swamp. The swamp uh, cover, hard cover is available within 1d6 squares of any character. Concealment's available anywhere. Uh, you're knee deep in water sometimes. Okay, what? Like, I, you know, I, I could see people basically glossing over this chapter because it's not as interesting if they're really getting this book for the combat. Right. Um, I think it suffers from that, is I guess my point. I, I think that's pretty fair. But, you know, reminding people to uh, vary up the topography of their battlefield is not a bad suggestion by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, no. I think it's totally fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but breaking down hills to different levels is maybe a little... <laughs> it's, well, uh, it takes a level of dedication that you might not be... Experiencing. Ex- experiencing or, or, or interested in at that point, right? Um, although I have to say, you know, sometimes like for example, the, the, the topographical map thing, you know, just seeing the little tutorial here and reading about what it is actually could help looking at some of those first and second edition topographical maps they have in some of the older modules, you know, just seeing the, the lines and, and, you know, for someone new who didn't, who wasn't really experienced with those, this might suddenly make some light bulbs go off. All right, well, that's going to be the end of this episode, the fifth day of Christmas, Combat and Tactics Part 2. Brandis, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found at brandisstoddard.com and on Twitter at brandisstoddard. And my Patreon is also brandisstoddard. So I hope you'll come find me in one of those places and have some conversations. Also, right for Tribality. Excellent. Tribality.com, right? Not .net? Uh, .com, yep. 
Com. Excellent. All right. And I am uh, DM Samuel on Twitter, and I run RPG Musings website, and I can be found all over the Tome Show. And uh, I do also have a Patreon, although I've had it on hold for the last quarter of this year. That is uh, patreon.com slash RPG Musings. I also run a uh, streamed game every other Sunday night, roughly speaking, that is called D&D Brief, where we play a game, and then for the last 20 or 30 minutes of every episode, we talk about different things uh that game's getting really juicy so if you're listening along i hope you're really enjoying it uh and having said that we hope you have a wonderful holiday season thanks everybody look mate three generations ago my ancestors forged the great blade skull splitter with it they won the goblin wars the hobgoblin wars the orc wars the demon wars the elf wars and the gelatinous cube wars that one doesn't even make sense because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullsplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. <laughs>